So uh, today, I, I pray that we can begin to further, you know, look at fixing maybe what's been broken. And I think you'll understand that as we, as we finish the message today. So uh, you've got your notes in front of you. Here we go. Thank you for that song, Sonia. It was really, really perfect. The biblical model of church leadership is what we're talking about today. And I believe and pray that you do believe with me that it is necessary for us to get this right. If we get the biblical leadership, the spiritual leadership of the church right, then we can reach our potential and we can fulfill the mission for which God has given us here at Gospel Light. And that's the very first thing to fill in your notes, that the biblical model of church leadership is just that. And we want to bring glory to God, and we desire to build God's church God's way, okay? And now this message is not just for mature Christians. I promise you it's not. But it is for those who are very serious about learning more about the church, okay? So to become interested tonight, ask yourself that question right now. How... How can I, for the next 30 minutes, engage my mind and heart in getting excited about what it would look like if our church had a biblical model of leadership and, and then we, we began to see our church grow and build the right way? Now, I know some of you are thinking, uh, potentially tonight, what could be so exciting about talking about elders and, 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 and deacons next week? You know, what's so exciting about that? Brother Eric... You know, first of all, I've got a lot of other issues going on in my life, and the furthest thing from my mind is that. You know, maybe there's others that just, this again, this just doesn't interest you. Maybe a young person would say, man, I'm so far away from, you know, being involved in this. And, and the truth is, you're not. One of the things we're learning is that uh, the Bible says nothing about how old a man is or how young a man is before he can serve in a position of leadership in the church. And so age is not an issue here. And so young people should be interested in this. And then, you know, maybe there's even a church member who says, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with ever, you know, hearing things about elders. In fact, elders are kind of a spooky name to me. I picture, you know, 20 men in an upper room all wearing black robes sitting around chanting things, you know. Um, well, hey, I thought the same thing as you did. I was deeply misinformed and you know, again, Scripture fixes those things. And so we have a strong desire here at Gospelite to have the type of church leadership at this church that is as close to the Bible as possible. And we're never going to just hit it on the head because there is some room for negotiating some different things. It's not going to be the same exact way for every church when it comes down to some of the, you know, some of the ways that you might set it up. But there are some non-negotiables that we're going to discuss today. So, again, if I'm going to be the type of pastor and leader, and I desire to be, that this church needs, then I I, I want to to line myself up with Scripture. That's the reason for the message. If I'm going to accomplish the mission for which God has called us to, and if God wants me to continue to lead in that mission, then we've got to ask ourselves, hey, you know, what can we do to get back on track, uh, or maybe get on track even, to accomplish that. And so there's two primary roles of leadership in the church, all right? Number one, elders. Number two, deacons. And so it'll take us this morning's me- this evening's message to cover elders, and next week we'll cover deacons, all right? And we think of different things when we think of those two words. We all do. And if I asked you to, okay, stand up and tell me what you think about elders, uh, we'd have a variety of different answers. Um, I, mean, I think I mentioned last week, you know, one thing that I think about is Mormons, you know, because they, they, they do call themselves elders. They actually use that terminology, and, and they wear a little button, and it says Elder, you know, Joe or Elder 
their last name, and they identify themselves that way. And sometimes, you know, uh, we've stayed away from that because of that, you know. Uh, again, elders are mentioned in the book of Revelation as, you know, 24 elders standing before the throne of God. And that's something that, you know, is, is something we would look at and say, you know, well, I wonder what that, what's going on there. Who are those men and these types of things? But the truth of the matter is, is, is elders may be sitting in this very room. Uh, and so we, we need to find out what is the biblical definition of an elder. And then we think of the word deacon, which we'll discuss next week. Uh, you know, honestly, growing up, I heard a lot of deacon jokes, uh, you know, and they, and they weren't very, very nice. It was always the deacon jokes uh, led me to believe that in a lot of churches, deacons worked against the pastor, you know, and it was always somewhat of a, of a business meeting, and there were, you know, uh, arguing and, and, and confronting, and it was just not a pretty thing, you know, and, and that's kind of the impression you got about deacons in the church, and, and that's not at all a scriptural picture of what a biblical deacon is, and so we're going to put aside tonight all of our preconceived ideas, including myself, of elders, of deacons, put all that aside, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to teach us about leaders in the church, okay? That's the way you have to do this. You have to put aside, because I've got a lot of preconceived things. I mean, I've sat in a lot of classrooms. I've, I've, I've been in churches that have done things differently than what I'm going to teach, but what I'm going to teach is not what a college teaches or what a denomination teaches, because that's what I've been doing for the last 22 years. What I'm going to do is teach exactly what the Bible says. And so, you know, I think it'll help us to take a, a little different look at it. Now, I will say this. It doesn't necessarily look one way. I mentioned that, but it, you know, down to how it is actually structured it can be different in different churches. But the idea of, of, of what it is to, to, to lead a church is is very clear in scripture and that's what we're going to talk about tonight not the things we could say well couldn't we do it this way or couldn't we do it that way the answer is yes there are non-negotiables but are negotiables but there are also things no this is this is clearly bible so here we go acts 20 you're there i want to read you a conversation i want to read you a conversation between paul and the elders of the church in ephesus now here's the picture paul is going to Jerusalem, okay, very shortly. And he knows that he's going to face some trouble there. And so what Paul is doing is, prior to going to Jerusalem, not knowing what he's going to face, he's having a conversation with the leaders of the church. That's what we're going to read by way of introduction, okay? And take our four points from this passage. Verse 17, Paul speaking. Are you ready? Here we go. Paul said this, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the and it would be good for you to note the plural in this, elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things which shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish 
my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that she all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall not, or rather shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole gospel, or rather counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you elders, overseers, to feed the church of God, or to teach God's word, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. You guys, you leaders, not sparing the flock, also your own selves shall men arise. In other words, in the leadership of the church, there's going to be men that are going to arise. They're going to speak perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I've coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I've showed you all things, how that so laboring, you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled softly. And he prayed with them all. And they all wept sore. And they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him. Sorrowing most of all, for the words which he, not most of all, for the words, excuse me, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him into the ship. So that's a great lecture, if you will, by a church planter by the name of Paul to the elders of the church. And in that recitation, in that speech, we're going to take four responsibilities of elders. We learn them from the great apostle Paul because he he was admonishing these leaders in the church to do the work of a, of, of a biblical leader in a church context. All right, so number one, you ready? Write this down. Elders, number one, elders lead under the authority of Jesus Christ. Very important. Elders lead under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, elders is a common word that's used in Scripture. This is not something we're just like taking one mention of it. No, it's mentioned 70 times in the New Testament, multiple times in the Old Testament, especially when it comes to the leader, Moses, in the Old Testament. First five books of the Bible, you see a lot of the use of the word elders. They helped Moses in, in his time of leadership of God's people. And, but starting in the book of Acts, this is what's cool. It gets really clear. Because starting in the book of Acts, elders is always referring to a unique group of men in the church. Starting here. There's no debate about that. Starting right here in the book of Acts, elders is always referred to as being plural. Never single. Always a group. You'll always see it as a a group of men. God's leadership was never intended to be a dictatorship style leadership never intended to be that way in the new testament the church was led by a group of leaders a group called elders now acts chapter 14 verse 23 on the screen will kind of give you a picture of that let me read through a few verses for you and you stay with me on the screen and notice uh, the, the capital letters of the word elders. All right, here we go. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. There's the problem, 
Okay, so the problem is stated, and now what are they going to do since there's an issue in the church? All right, let's look at verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Elders, again, a group. So they're going to this group of leaders with a problem in the church. Verse 4. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Verse 6. And the apostles and elders, they came together for to consider this matter, this problem. So they're talking now, this group of men. How many men were there? At least three. You know, just because... You know, there would never be, usually, there's not an even number. There's going to be an odd number, you know, of, of men that, that gather in, in, in settings like this. So there's probably at least three. Personally, I would think there's multiple men because there were multiple church campuses in, in this, in, at the Church of Jerusalem. So there could have been as many as 15 or 20. We have no idea. We just know this. There's more than one. Amen? And it says in verse number uh, 22 of Acts chapter number 15, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church, so everybody's on board, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barnabas and Silas, chief among the brethren, chief men among the brethren. So they decided, look, the elders of the church are going to send men to other churches, and, and we're going to solve this problem. Then, let me take you to Acts 16, verse 4, real quickly, because the decision was made. And when the decision was made by the elders of the church, look what happened. And as they went through the cities, verse uh, 4, uh, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So I want you to see one example of elders leading in the church. So we see elders also in Scripture referred to as overseers. Now, you don't see it as often as you see the word elders, but you do see the word overseers. And so let's identify that word in Scripture. First of all, you're going to see it in Acts 20 and verse 28. All right, so if you're in Acts 20, look at verse 28 where it says, uh, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock of God, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Okay, so let's identify another biblical word. Now, probably we're not going to use the word overseers too often. There is, but it does mean something. It teaches us that these men are overseeing. And we might use that, what do you oversee at the church? We might say it like that, but the Bible describes one of, one of their uh, capacities in, in, in ministry is to oversee the church. Uh, you'll see uh, other uh, mentions of the word overseer in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1. And I'm giving you this, not so much fast, but just information that you can take notes on as I talk and discuss in small group this week. All right. So these men are the overall leaders of the church. These elders are the overall leaders of the church, but they lead the church under the authority of Jesus Christ. All right. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Acts 20, 28 in your Bibles teaches us this. All right. Look at verse 28 again. Take ye therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. How cool is that? You know, sometimes we think that we're the ones. You know, well, we, we choose the pastor. We choose the leader. Well, the truth of the matter is, is we could, we could not choose an elder. We could. But the truth of the matter is, is the Holy Ghost of God is the one who appoints spiritual leadership in the church. That's why it's so humbling and even sometimes fearful, if you will, to lead people 
in a church understanding how big it is, how huge of a responsibility it is, and impossible for one man to do it. Because the Holy Spirit of God is the one who, who appoints the, 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 the leaders of the church. And then elders are accountable to the Son of God. That's why it says, he's purchased them with his own blood. God loves the church so much that he shed his blood for the church. He died for the church. That's a great statement. In fact, it's one that you and I ought to stop for just a moment and say, wow, I'm glad today that, that Jesus shed his blood for the church because that's why I'm sitting here today lifting my hands, praising his name on my way to heaven because of that, because he purchased with his own blood the church. Amen. You and I are the church. He didn't do it for the pews. He didn't do it for the walls. He didn't do it for the buildings. He didn't do it for the church sign. He didn't do it for denomination. He did it for the church, the people, because we are the church, you see. The church is not a name. The church is not a building. The church is not an address. The church is you and me doesn't belong to you and me it doesn't belong to the church leaders it belongs to jesus christ now with that said it's not easy it's not easy to be an elder in the church it's not it shouldn't be in fact to be honest with you it was a whole lot easier before i started studying than it is now because i realized it's a huge responsibility to even qualify to be a leader in the church Number two, elders care for the body of Christ. They care for the body of Christ. That word care is the key word there because another word for the use for the word elder is this. Are you ready? Pastor or overseer. We talked about that already. Uh, No, shepherd. I'm sorry. Pastor or shepherd. I wanted to talk about that word shepherd because the word pastor is found one time in the New Testament, but it is a word culturally that we use a lot. And I like the word pastor. I'd much rather you call me pastor than I would elder. And, 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 and most churches are like that. Uh, I'd much rather you call me pastor than shepherd. Hey, shepherd, you know. Uh, so pastor is a very good word. But can I tell you what pastor, it's the, the word pastor is the same word as the word shepherd. It's a word that indicates nurturing caring you see the the image is elders are shepherds who care for the flock that god has entrusted to them now right there you can see we've dropped the ball because uh you know when you have a structure like we have now where there is one pastor that leads the church one now we don't we don't practice it like this we're we're much closer to this model than some churches are because you know, there's not a lot of arrogance on our staff, but we're, we're, the model is not in place that really is able to care for our church. For instance, I had somebody just the other day tell me that somebody hasn't attended here in five weeks, and I didn't know it. And yes, it may be that person's fault because they're not plugged into a small group. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do to blame it on that person, and, and I understand that ultimately they'll stand before God and give an account. But I don't look at it that way. I look at it that, you know what, if we had elders leading the church, we wouldn't have so many people falling between the cracks, people not getting cared for, people not getting prayed over, people not getting the, the, the nurture they need because it takes more than one person to lead 50 people, 100 people properly. Let me ask you a question. You know, I look at a dad here today. we got some dads here. Tim's a dad. Thomas is a dad. And guys, you have in your family, Thomas has 
two children and a wife and a job and other responsibilities. Tim has three children and a wife and a job. Now, praise God, we're not supposed to have plurality of leadership in the home. Amen? Not multiple husbands and wives. Good. That's good news. Okay? Polygamy is is not in Scripture. But you guys have your hands full leading a family, right? Think about it. If you're like me, guys, sometimes you feel like you drop the ball, don't you? I do. Sometimes I feel like, man, I need it. And I've just got my wife and kids. Can you imagine, you know, having a whole church full of families that need to be cared for, that have a lot of needs, and try to do that with one person? So this is very important because we're understanding that, that nurturing Caring for the church is, is, is a huge responsibility. A couple of scriptures. James 5.14. James 5.14 says, If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Now, when's the last time you heard about us calling, uh, uh, someone calling the church and saying, Will the leadership come and anoint me with oil and pray over me? The last time it happened was after the message today. Wednesday night, I'm taking a group of men. Somebody said, I didn't know y'all did that. That's so awesome. Would you pray over me? I have cancer. So we're taking a group of men to somebody's house to pray over them Wednesday night. You're going to anoint them with oil. You say, that's kind of weird. Why would it be weird if it's right there on the screen? Why is it? I'll tell you why it's weird. It's weird because in our religion, we don't do it. We don't do what the Bible says in our religion. But, but religion is, is not a good thing. And the reason we don't do it because our religion doesn't do it is because some other religion, <laughs> I'm using that term loosely, does it. And, and we don't agree with them, so we decide, well, we don't agree with them on that issue, so we're not going to agree with them on a biblical issue. That's the silly thing. That's why the prayer gathering was so awesome. Because we came together and said, you know what? We can all agree on prayer and worship. And when you pray and worship with, with, with other believers, you find commonality. This, is, this ought to be common in every church. Every church ought to have a system where people can say, I need to be anointed with oil. Are you listening? And by the way, I'm wide open for questions, phone calls, texts. But, but don't do it before you really meditate and study that scripture like I have. Because that has to do with caring for the church. People are hurting. People are sick. People are depressed. People are addicted. They need symbolically oil because it's the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Symbols are good. This is a symbol of marriage. Amen. Right? Nothing wrong with it. It doesn't mean I'm not married if I don't wear it, but I wear it because I'm married. And when I'm anointed with oil, it's a symbol of the power and the, the healing spirit of the Holy Spirit. So there's so much to learn there. Acts 6.4 is awesome. Acts 6.4 talks about nurturing the flock of God when it says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. One of the elders' main responsibilities is to feed the flock of God, to feed it, to nurture it, to, to give it healthy nutrients from the scripture. You don't want me or any other guy getting up here and teaching redigested messages. Well, I just grabbed one. I've been so busy. I couldn't really work on a message this week, so I know I preached this one a few weeks ago, but I'm just going to do it again. You don't need that. You don't need a message I preached a year ago. What you need is one fresh out of the oven, prepared, studied over, been ready for weeks like this one, and now here I am to present it to you so you can say, 
wow, okay, good. Man, I, I'm learning some things. I'm getting some things. But what happens is, is sometimes pastors get so busy and bogged down that they don't have time to pray or study, so they preach old stuff, you see. So that's just a thought and, and something to, to give you there. Number, number two, elders must protect the flock of God. They nurture the flock. They protect the flock. Acts 20, verse 29 through 31. I won't take time to, I've got to speed up a little bit here. But we're talking here in 29 through 31 about grievous wolves entering into the church to, to hurt the flock of God. Guess what elders do? This group of leaders, they protect the flock. They're able to, to say, hey, wait a minute, we, we, that, that's not good doctrine. Hey, that, that fella came into the church. He's promoting something in the church that is not good. People are the sheep. The sheep are following someone in a business deal that they're going to regret. We've got to stop that. We've got to talk to them. It could be a number of different things that go on in the church that get us off mission. And elders are to protect the flock of God against spiritual wickedness in high places. Demons are real. Devils are real. And, 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 and sometimes they come in the form of a, 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 a person who is trying to hurt the church of God. And so we uh, understand that Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we ought to put on the whole armor of God, that we would stand against the, the wiles of the devil, uh, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Man, that's a true verse. That's Scripture. That means, wait a minute, if that's real, th- then we're going to need someone to help us to avoid those types of situations and spirits and demons and devils that can destroy us if we allow them to come into the church and there's a lot of truth there but let's go on elders teach number three ready elders teach they lead under the authority of christ they care for the body of christ they teach the word of god they teach the word of christ all right look at acts chapter 20 verse 32 and now brethren i commend you to god and to the word the word I, I i i i commend you to the word of his grace which is able to build you up so we're talking about the word of god here so an elder must be able to teach god's word clearly this is the distinct difference between an elder and a deacon a deacon does not necessarily have to teach god's word he doesn't have to preach god's word but an elder he cannot be an elder unless he can do this this is a very important part of being a church leader being able to teach god's word effectively elders must be in the word of god they've got to be in the word of god they've got to be men of prayer two important tasks regarding that two important things number one elders must know the word of god extensively doesn't mean they're theologians doesn't mean they have all kinds of degrees next to their name it just means this they love the word of god and it's evident leaders must in the church must know the word of god they must study the word of god they must memorize the word of god they must meditate on the word of god they must love scripture and an elder cannot be a qualified elder unless he is someone who knows the word of god so therefore elders would be those who know the word of god best in the church but not just to know the word of god to also know how it fits into our culture that's how scripture is so relevant have you ever read the bible and thought wow that's kind of weird i mean i i I see what god's saying here but that's kind of weird the way they did that back then well yeah because that was back then and today is today we live in a totally different culture but the word of god is still powerful and relevant today 
So what I need to do, what other leaders need to do, is say, how can we take the word of God that was written 2,000, 3,000, 6,000, whatever years ago, how can we take the Bible and make it to apply it today? And that's, what, that's what preaching is. We're taking the truth of God's word in a different culture, in a different setting, and we're saying, hey, what, how does it apply to you and I today? So it's very important that we don't just know the word of God, but we're able to, to bring it to where we are today in culture, which is interesting. I mean, today in our country, we're no, this is post-Christian nation now. I would be shocked if, if you're not familiar with someone in recent days who has never heard of Jesus. Or if you said to someone 30 years ago when I first became a Christian, you know, how do you get to God? Well, you get there through Jesus. Now, today, the prevalent teaching is there's many ways to God. It doesn't matter what you believe. Baptists teach that. Methodists would teach that. People are staying away from issues today socially like homosexuality or same-sex marriages. Churches are just saying, you know, that's not a big deal. Wait a minute, it, it, it is a big deal. But the issue is of such grave, intense, that how, do we, how, do, how does that look today in the church? The, the principle is the same, but it might need to look a little bit different so that we can reach those people because there's so many now. It's just so different. And I won't get into that right now, but I'll just say this, that, that it is uh, very important that, 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 that we're able to articulate the word as, as, as leaders of the church in such a way that, that, that we're relevant. Number two, elders are called to communicate the word of God effectively. We've got to communicate it effectively. We don't necessarily need to be able to preach to a big crowd like this. Some of you that would be elder qualified in this building today or one day, you might say, well, do I need to stand up in front on a Sunday morning and preach God's word? That may not be your gift. That may not be where you're most comfortable. But you will, an elder must be able to effectively, in some kind of a group setting, teach God's word and that might be a small group, that might be a staff meeting, that might be in a marriage retreat, but it is important that he is apt to teach. Lots of scripture. First Timothy 3, 2. Do we have that for the screen? Yeah. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given hospitality. Notice the last three words. He's apt to teach. Now that is a qualification that you will not find in the deacon's list. But you will find it in the elders list because elders teach the word of God. For instance, I would probably be the the primary teaching pastor. I'd be the one who would be in the pulpit the most preaching God's word. That's the gift that God's given me to effectively communicate. But every elder in in a church, if if this is the, the way that we decide to go, every elder would need to be able to effectively communicate the word of God and know it extensively. So elders should be able to encourage people in the word, comfort people in the word, persuade people in the word, challenge people in the word, instruct people in the word, show answers to questions uh, with passion and reinforce the word in the lives of others. This is where the bar is raised for an elder. Number four, the fourth responsibility of elders is they should model the character of Christ. They should model the character of Christ. Now, elders are not going to be perfect, but they need to be an example. Make sense? All right, let me read you some passages. I'd really like for you to turn here. We're not going to stay long, but we will be here again next week. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 is to 
elders, and then verses 8 through 13 is for deacons. But let's just look at the elder verses. They will not be on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then, a bishop, an elder, a pastor, same thing, must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler or a fighter, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity or dignity. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 6. Not a novice. Let's being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation. So this guy isn't a new convert. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without. He's got to have a good reputation in the community. Lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. There's also a list in 1 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. And then there's another short list in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. And so you'll see in those three different places in Scripture a list of qualifications for elders. Now, let's notice what is not mentioned. Because there's a lot of things not mentioned here that for some reason we've, we've kind of put in there. Just church culture has done this. Number one, age is not mentioned on the list. I talked to you about that earlier, right? Age is not mentioned. And potentially someone could, could be a, young, a younger man. It's maybe not super likely. And... And if there was an elder board that would have, let's say, five or six or seven elders, uh, there would not be all younger men. But I think it would be really cool if there was at least a couple of younger men who really were devoted to these things. Success is not mentioned. Success in business is not mentioned. For instance, someone that's a successful businessman, for some reason, he's just sort of placed into a position of prominence in the church because he's a successful businessman. But the truth of the matter is, some of the things that made him a successful businessman are things that would disqualify him from being an elder. Listen, success in business, there are many men successful in business, but have gotten there the wrong way. We need to be careful how we look at that when we talk about church leadership. Success in business is not mentioned in that list. Technical expertise is not mentioned. What about this? Just a good old boy. You know, well, he's a, he's a, the pastor put him in that position because he shows favoritism. He's just, he's in with the pastor. He's a good old boy. They've known each other for a long time. It has nothing to do with it. It's not about who you know when it comes to this. Okay, women are not mentioned. Now, nowhere in Scripture do we see that the primary leadership role in the church is designated to a woman. Now, with that said, I understand there are other churches, denominations, that, that, would, that would have a discussion to be said there. Where I stay is very simply with the Scripture, not a matter of equality, not a matter of value, not a matter of a woman being able to teach in the church or being able to even have a leadership role in some capacity in the church. In fact, there are women in this church that are gifted in, in great ways and used in this church and, and, and are going to be used, especially after next week's message, in even a greater way as we understand a woman's role in the church, which is a great role in the church. But when it comes to the primary leadership role in the church, we, we, we stand as a local church on the side of a, a man would hold that, that position. Another incredible thing about this list is this, is, is that it's, it's a pretty tall order, 
But honestly, if you read through that list this week sometime before your small group, just read through the list. You're probably going to say, wow, everybody needs to do that stuff. Everybody. Right? I mean, think about it. I won't take time to read it again, but read it. Hospitality? Shouldn't we be nice to people? (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, we look at that list and say, oh, my goodness, that's a lot of stuff. I don't know if I could. Really, those things are things that every Christian should do. Just because you're not an elder doesn't mean, well, I get to be mean to people. (laughs) No. But, But elders should be an example of those things. We should raise the bar. There should be a greater uh, level of, of character in the life of a church leader. So scripture is basically saying that these men are not perfect men, but they display the character of Christ. They're blameless. First word, blameless. What does the word blameless mean? Above reproach. They're above reproach. They're not perfect. They're not perfect, but they're above reproach. Look at Hebrews thirteen seven on the screen. It says... Remember them which have the rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. Key word in that verse is this, considering. Considering the end of their conversation. What do we need to consider? Here are the things we need to consider. Fill fill these in, I'll go quickly. Number one, we should consider his personal life. When looking at this group of men who lead the church, we should consider his personal life. Think about that list. Is he self-controlled? Is this a man that is self-controlled? In other words, he's not given to wine. A deacon is not given to much wine. We're not going to discuss that uh, in, in, a, in a corporate setting. Uh, you know, does that mean he can drink a little bit? You, you, you study that. We'll talk about that in a small group setting. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is what we know it says. And what we know it says is this. This man should never get drunk. He should never be seen drunk. He should never be... By the way, it's not just alcohol. It's addiction to anything. See, sometimes we like to look at that self-controlled, not giving to wine, just alcohol. Brother, we're talking about food. We're talking about ESPN. I knew it'd get quiet. We're talking about girlfriends, boyfriends. Are you addicted to anything that is overboard, that is taking you away from Christ? So is he self-controlled? Is he wise? Is he a wise man? Is he peaceable? Does he like to start fights? Is he mean-spirited? Does he talk kind of arrogant? Is this leader in the church someone who always makes you feel like you're this tall? He shouldn't be an elder if he does. He should be peaceable. He should be putting out fires, not starting fires. Okay, is, is he gentle? Is he meek? Is he gentle? Is he soft? Is he kind? Is he, does he try not to hurt people with his words? Is he sacrificial in his giving? He's not a lover of money. That's what that means. Not a lover of money. In other words, he's sacrificial in his giving. Is he humble? Think about it. The word shepherd. That's what I am. I'm a shepherd. Let me ask you a question. How many people have you met lately that you've walked up to and said, hey, what are you going to do with your life? Oh, I'm going to be a shepherd. Can't wait. I'm going to get down with those sheep. And It's not really a position of notoriety. A shepherd is somebody who says, you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my life caring for hurting people. It's not something people are lining up to do these days. But this is what an elder has to be. Even if he's a businessman in the church and not on full-time staff, by the way, we're going to have more. We've already decided if you approve this, there's going to be more elders that are laymen than elders on staff. So that means there could be elders sitting in this building tonight. I don't know that there are. There may not be. But there could be men that would eventually 
put themselves in a position to lead as a, as, as a man who just says, hey, I, I, I want to humble myself and, and help to care for this church. Is he patient? Is he patient? Is he honest? Is he disciplined? What about in his family life? Is he a leader in his home? The Bible talks about that. Do his, are his children, you know, all over the church, running around, jumping on the pews, jumping off the buildings? Are they out in the bars and the strip joints? Or does he have control of his home? Do his children respect him? They're not perfect kids. They're not perfect. But they love their mom and dad. They respect their mom and dad. And they, they behave in the church. Is he the husband of one wife? Now, that doesn't say, is he divorced? It just says he's the humble husband of one wife. And I've studied this and studied this and studied this. We'll talk about this a little bit more later. But this is a man that may potentially have been a man that when he got married as a lost man at age 20, stayed married for six months, got divorced, got saved when he was 25, got married when he was 26, has lived for God for 10 years. And I don't believe Scripture would prohibit him from being an elder in the church because he, when he was lost, he got married and divorced. We've studied that. We've, as, a, as a group, we feel like that's what we're going to be presenting to the church, is that this man may have a scar of divorce in his life, but right now, guess what he is? He's a one-woman man. Amen. And that's what Scripture's teaching. Does he love the wife he has right now with all of his heart? Regardless of what's happened in the past, how is he doing right now? Aren't you glad God's the God of a second chance? He is. But wait a minute, what if he's not married? Can he be an elder? I believe he can. The Apostle Paul wasn't married in this passage. So if he's single, he needs to have self-control. He doesn't mean to be out at the bars and sleeping around and having a girlfriend every other month that he, you know, whatever. I'll stop there. He's not qualified. He needs to be morally pure if he's single. If he's married, he needs to love his wife. If he has children, do they honor him? Is he an example in parenting? Parenting. What about his social and business life? Is he kind in business? If he's not on staff, if he's not on paid staff, if he's not Erica Pacey, you know, elder, is, if, he's, if he's just a man sitting in this building, is he kind? Is he hospitable? Is he a friend to strangers? If somebody walks up to this man that he doesn't know, does he have time for him? Or does he just say, hey, look, I got other things to do. Is, is, he, is he just a, a guy that loves people? Is he kind to those he doesn't know? Does he show favoritism to people? What about in his spiritual life? Is he making disciples? Does he love the word of God? Does he pray? Is he holy? Is he gracious? See, do you see how important these guys are? (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? Wow. You know what I thought? Honestly, I've read this scripture a ton but it wasn't until the last five or six months that I've begun to understand this is huge. And as a pastor here at Gospel Light, I say to you that as we transition prayerfully into, uh, in, into this consideration, that we all decide, wait a minute, if we're going to have biblical leadership to fulfill the mission of the church that God has put us, we must first and foremost model as leaders the character of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Elders are servant leaders of the church. Notice at the top of your notes. Do you see that? Elders, servant leaders of the church. You know what my job is to do? Wash your feet. Love you, care for you, nurture you. That's my job, to prepare messages, to study the word of God, to pray, to come into this pulpit, not a novice, but with something every week that can enrich your spiritual life. And that's the job of an elder.
So how does this look at gospel light? Well, right now, we have a senior pastor, and we'll have one. That, that's still something we're going to do. He'll just be an elder. I'll just be one of the elders of the church, but I'll be the senior pastor, which means I'll lead the day-to-day operations of the church on campus, but I'll just be one amongst equals when it comes to leading the church spiritually, which is great because I need wisdom and I need help, and one man can't do it. It's going to be awesome. How is it set up now? Well, we have assistant pastors. We have probably somewhere around three assistant pastors. That's what we would call them, associate pastors. But we would probably do away with that. We wouldn't call them associate pastors. We would call them elders, pastors of the church. They would pastor particular areas of the church. You might have a, 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 a pastor over the families, and he would help to, to care for them and organize. Maybe have a pastor over the business of the church. It could be some different ways that we, we do it personally because that's not in Scripture. How we, how we actually lay out the structures and in Scripture, we just know this. It needs to be a plurality of leadership, and these men need to have these qualifications. So that's where we're at. Next week, we'll discuss deacons. Now, in closing, before we give the invitation. You know, the hardest thing about doing this is I know these messages are designed to be teachy and to inform you. And this is the best way to do it, Sundays. And we've had a great time. And we've got a few more messages to go. And it's the summertime, and we're not loaded up with a lot of guests. But I want you to know, if you have come tonight, slipped in somewhere, and I don't know who you are, and I haven't seen you yet. We had some first-time guests this morning. It was awesome. And thankfully, they said they enjoyed it. I don't know if they did or not. Maybe they would just make me feel good. But I know this tonight, that there could be someone here today that you're saying, you know, Brother Eric, I'm still stuck on that purchased with his own blood. You mentioned something about the blood of Jesus. He died for the church. He, did he die for me? Yes, he died for you. He wants to save you. He loves you. And, and you can be a part of the church. You can't be a part of the church outside of salvation, outside the camp. But if you say, I... I want, to, I want this Jesus. I, I want to be, be someone who understands that, that I have been bought with a price, that Jesus did shed his blood for me. That makes sense to me. I, I can't do this by myself. I've tried to do it. I, I want to be saved tonight. Is there a way tonight that I can be saved? Yes, you can slip out. See me at the front. Talk to me here tonight. I'd love to take the word of God, share with you how you can be saved, how you can become a part of the family of God. And there's, there's two families. There's the big universal family that I met with on Friday night at the prayer gathering. My brothers and sisters in Christ from all denominations. And then there's another family here at 600 Garland Street. It's just a little bit smaller and, than, than that big gathering. And, 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 and we just meet here. And, and God's given us a, a, a wonderful thing here. And we'd love for you to know about that. Because Jesus purchased you with his blood. And then others may just need to come and pray. We'll take a few minutes and give you the chance to do that. That's how we're going to do this. So I'd like to ask our worship team to come forward, the ones that are here, and as they come forward, and uh, I don't know if there's been a designated pastor to stand here with me. If not, I can do it. But uh, if there is, come on down, guy, and uh, we'll do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you, God, for tonight. I thank you for this gathering. I thank you, Father, for the sweet peace that comes over us when we finally uh, understand Scripture. And we're not here to to be critical of the way we did things in the past or, or to say that we know more, that we're better. That's not it. We're just saying, wow, God, show us, teach us, make us the kind of church that we need to be because, God, we know now, we know the truth, and the truth 
is setting us free. So I pray that you bless us. And bless those that have come tonight. And as we stand in a moment, may, may people feel comfortable in coming to this altar tonight. And as we sing about Calvary and the wonderful price that Jesus paid for us, if there's anybody here, anybody in the building, front or back, that doesn't...